0: Hi and welcome to the first episode of Authorised. My name's Kevin Hillier. So, what is Authorised? Well, it's a podcast that will bring you the authors behind uh, the words that uh, that we all read on the pages of the books that we've been flipping through uh, year after year after year. Uh, we'll be talking about their latest works and in many cases uh, some of their other works as well. So what we hope to do in this podcast is uh, bring you their stories and uh, the stories of the books that they've written. Going to kick it off with a beauty about a, a passion of mine and a passion of a lot of people's and something that, that does touch all our lives, music. That's where we'll be starting. But we won't be stopping at music. We'll be talking about sport and food. And crime and history and self help books uh, and fiction. So, we're going to uh, go across all the genres uh, with Authorized and bring you uh, with each episode uh, some fascinating and interesting people, and we'll start with the beauty we'll tell you about in uh, just a couple of seconds. We also have a terrific partner that's uh, joined us to be part of Authorised, and that is uh, the CS Consulting Group, cscg.com.au. If you wanna find out what they're all about, go to the website, have a look. You can put some uh, faces to the names. You can find out exactly what they're all about. Uh, but what they are is a, a one-stop shop basically for, you for all your financial needs. Now, whether it's uh, accounting, whether it's taxation, whether you're looking at uh, borrowing, whether you're looking at uh, some financial planning issues, Business Advisory Services, they have those too. So whatever it is you're after, they're available for you. They're a terrific bunch of people. Uh, I've known them for a long time now, and you can simply pick the phone up and call them. Obviously, with COVID-19 uh, restrictions in place uh, right around the country uh, in different uh, levels at different states, um, but uh, you can give them a call. Uh, it is 03974 double nine seven four eight three double three as i mentioned the website cscg.com.au business or personal doesn't matter uh, they're there to help you out and they will do a great job for you they will certainly look after you and we're very happy to have them on board uh, the authorized uh, podcast our first guest our first author to kick us off it uh, takes us back uh, through, uh, I guess, a, a lot of uh, the pages of our life are aligned with music and uh, the, the music of the this man is part of uh, so much of our life. It's a book about George Young. Now, George Young, of course, was one half of the uh, Vandy Young songwriting uh, combination and was a member of the Easy Beats way back in the mid part of the 60s. Jeff Apter, who is the author of this book, Friday on My Mind, has written a, a number of books. In fact, he's written over 20 books on music. Uh, People like Keith Urban, Johnny O'Keefe, John Farnham, the Finn Brothers. He's also written about Angus and Malcolm Young and decided uh, on the back of that uh, to have a crack at uh, writing the George Young story. Uh the birth of the Easy Beats was the start of uh, Australian music going overseas. So let's go through all that, uh, through this amazing story with uh, with George Young and, and what he w- is all about. Unfortunately, the late George Young as it is now. Uh, and also a special appearance uh, from a man who was made a, a lot of uh, incredibly big hit songs all over the world. And they've been uh, Harry Vander George Young compos- compositions. We'll uh, catch up with him very shortly. But uh, let's get to Jeff Apter and talk about... Uh, the reason behind uh, putting this book together Friday on my mind. So what motivated this one, given that you've already kind of uh, uh, dipped your toe in the water with the with the young brothers earlier but uh, <laughs> w- w- why'd you feel why you feel you wanted to do this one about george
1: well this is this is the uh, third part of my accidental trilogy on the young.
0: look,
2: I was always George was always
1: in the forefront of my mind because I knew as I was working on the earlier books about Malcolm and Angus that George's story was bigger than the brothers. As interesting as the brothers' journey is with ACBC, you know, that's a monumental achievement and and the most unlikely thing to go from, you know, the Villawood Migrant Hostel to the top of the charts all around the world. George's journey is slightly different because he was more of a background player. You know, even in the easy beats, if you see him in the easy beats, he's sort of off to the side, letting Stevie Wright do his thing. You know, and it's almost like in some of those easy beats, um, footage that's available, it looks like he's plotting the future, you know, because he didn't really want to be a star, he didn't want to really be a performer, he wanted to be a songwriter and a producer and a mentor to a lot of these acts, and that's exactly the role that he took on later in life, but so I knew the story was bigger than the one I'd also written on Malcolm and Angus, and I was really ready to tackle it, because I don't know, so much interesting stuff about George while doing my research for those other books.
0: Yeah. The reluctant performer is probably the the description I'd use about him because, I mean, he clearly could perform, but just it didn't do it for him.
1: Exactly. He said that performing in the Easy Beats was us getting up, shaking our bums for 20 minutes. The girls scream. They invade the stage. We run for the exit. Night over. You know, for a budding musician and a guy with real ambition, it's it's not very satisfying. You know, it was, it, I'm sure it was fun for the first six months, you know, when Easy Fever erupted in 1965. But yeah. I think for George, once he started to come home and the kids hiding in his cupboards and his mother chasing them out of the house with a broom, <laughs> I think I, I think it lost a bit of its glamour just then. But yeah, look, I mean, and what he achieved as a musician and producer was was astounding. So I think he knew, he always seemed to have his head screwed on, George, even when he was, you know, 18 and 19 in, in the Easy piece, He always seemed to have one eye on what was going to happen next.
0: The unfortunate thing though, is in many ways, uh, like a lot of musicians in that in that early days, the, the, their their business acumen was was almost non-existent, so they they never made the money they should have made out of those early those early records.
1: He learned so much from the Easy beats, George, and one of them was it costs a lot to keep a band afloat. Yeah. You know they there was five of them, They based themselves in in London, they were away from home, it was expensive exercise. They had one big hit record internationally with Friday on My Mind and then spent the next three years trying to repeat that, trying to capture the same kind of magic that they bottled with that song. And they didn't really tour too much. They seemed to spend more time in the studio. And that's a very expensive exercise. You know, there's a story that there was an album they recorded called Vigil, and it didn't come out uh, until quite a long period after it was recorded. And from my understanding, it's because they couldn't afford to pay the studio bills, and the oh, studio wow. confiscated the tapes, you know. But, yeah, when they got back to Australia in the end of 69 and broke up, they found they were about $100,000 in debt, even though they'd had all this success. But because – and, yeah, in some part, probably they made some poor decisions business-wise. I, I understand in some countries they had, you know, competing record deals and, you know, was, but it was because they were trailblazers. They were striking new frontier in both as musicians – and I guess as, as export commodities, if you like. You know, no Australian band had had that kind of impact overseas, and I guess they really weren't um, equipped, and I'm including probably their management as well, to understand the complexities of, you know, international record deals and all those things. I don't think they were ever cheated. I just think they just needed probably more um, mature and seasoned advice, you know, like... There was a point where Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager, was interested in taking them on, and that might have changed their course a little bit because he would have had a bit more business acumen, I think.
0: So, yeah.
1: yeah, George took a lot away from that and you know, made sure that his brothers particularly didn't repeat the same mistakes with ACDC.
0: Yeah, well, obviously, they've become very rich men because of it. I read, and again, during
1: research for the book, that the young brothers, that's the three of them, uh, were a few years ago listed amongst the top, the wealthiest Australian families. Oh, I mean, wow. their combined yeah, their combined wealth is in the couple of hundred million dollars. Uh, unfortunately, George and Malcolm aren't around to appreciate it anymore. But um, you know, that's an incredible legacy, given that they started as ten pound well, ten pound scots, not ten pound Poms, but you know, they came out on that uh, assisted migration scheme with nothing.
2: Yeah, you know,
1: an entourage of 10, eight kids. George was the third youngest. Um, no grand plan about what they were going to do with their future. Their dad was a manual labourer. Their mother was a housekeeper. You know, it was um, the the level of success they achieved creatively and commercially is, is staggering, given where they came from.
0: His achievements. Uh, I mean, the Harry Vander George Young thing uh, that was massive and has always been massive in in Australian music. Um, uh, the EC Beats were massive. ACDC. The the tentacles that he's had involved in uh, in so many areas of of the of the music industry, but. I've re- even, even even with your book and stuff, he still doesn't seem to be the God that he probably should be.
1: Yeah, it's, and again, I think a lot of that is because, you know, he was working in the business of show where you've got to – he who talks loudest <laughs> gets noticed the most sometimes. Yeah. And because George didn't take that path, he wasn't kind of – he just didn't have that temperament, that personality. He was more than happy to stand back, which meant it was a long time before the Easy Beats, and George and Harry in particular were given due credit. But, you know, you look now, there's the Vander and Young Songwriting Award. They were, I think, the first people inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, there's a lot of, and it's almost like every time a new poll comes out the 10 best Australian something, Friday on my mind and or George and Harry, all the easy beats are number one. So it's taken a long time for them to get, the uh, receive the accolades that, um, but George was never, I don't think he was ever really seeking that. I reckon he took a lot of, Pride in his achievements, but I don't think he was the one that would run around boasting about, you know, having sold X amount of records. Unlike his younger brothers, who used to walk around Burwood when they were kids, saying, Hi, I'm Malcolm, I'm Angus and I'm the brother of George Young from the Easy Beach. <laughs> Not a bad calling card when you're a kid at school.
0: Pretty reasonable. Um, and, I, yeah. and I always got the impression uh, with just the way that, that he and Harry went about everything that it wasn't about the current song even, it was about the next song and the song after that. Yeah. And, uh, and it was never kind of dwelling on the fact that oh, yeah, I wrote Friday on my mind. Uh, he'd moved on. Yeah, they're incredibly prolific. You
1: know, they were oh. co- their, their songs were covered by something like, you know, several hundred artists both locally and internationally. You know, they had a hand on so much music over a period of probably 25 years. You know, one of my favorite parts of writing the book was after the Easy Beat split, George and Harry went back with their families and they based themselves in London and undertook what George referred to as the four-year binge, which was really the two of them working as jobbing songwriters and producers and musicians for hire, essentially. Yeah. They had a little studio, basically anybody who came into them with a handful of cash and wanted to make a record, They'd welcome them in. Quite often, they'd sell them a song as well. But, you know, they worked on all different types of music. They worked on jingles. They worked on ads. They did anything that came through the door because they both had young families to support too. And um, what would happen is George wanted to flip the whole notion of a a group on its head. He'd seen with the Easy Beats that you form the band, you have some success, and then you struggle to keep afloat. Well, he thought, what we're going to do now is we're going to record a song, and if the songs are hit, then we're going to form a band. So quite often they'd record a song in the studio and go, oh, hang on, we got, we need something for the front cover of the records. So they'd go down to the local pub and they'd find any lo- likely-looking lads and say, look, if we buy you a round of drinks, do you mind just standing up against that wall for a photo? <laughs> so they had all these all these records with with people on the cover that were completely unrelated to the record inside. It hadn't played on it, hadn't sang, they were just likely lads that they found down the street. So I love that. I love that kind of notion of, Turning the pop star concept on its head, but at one point they recorded um, a single under the name Eddie Ivana, and they wrote this great bio, and he was a really intriguing character. Right. And it was, it was it was actually Harry doing the vocal on the song, and they said later on they were really glad that the song wasn't a hit because if it was, Harry would have had to turn up on top of the pops and pretend to be Eddie <laughs> Ivana. The flash so the pan, of,
0: Then the flash in the pan thing sort of almost like a, a, a mistake in many ways too, wasn't it?
1: It, it was a lot of fun, you know. It was the two of them just toying with the idea of being a pop group again um, and, and not having to tour. You know, they did it all out of the studio. And at one point, they were even toying with the idea of sending Stevie Wright and a band out to uh, convince the, the public that they were flashing the pan. You know, yeah. so you could tell that they really enjoyed it. And, you know, those songs were meant for other people. But, you know, they weren't in the right range for someone like John Paul Young, and they just decided, Bug it, we'll record it ourselves. And lo and behold, they became international hits. It was always like they accidentally became successful all over again. And if you look at the videos, they just have a ball. They're just mucking around, wandering the streets of Sydney, playing, you know, pretending to be detectives and, you know, all these storylines. It's just good fun. And, you know, on board the Titanic as it sinks on Down Among the Dead Men, you can tell it was just a lark. And it turned out to be a very, very successful and profitable lark.
0: The uh, the no bullshit clause that George had in in life uh, and particularly in business, uh, it, it enabled him to be kind of as normal as possible outside uh, the realms of what he was what he was doing for a, for a living, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the no BS clause, and you know he he had this great ability to just cut through the crap when he was dealing with people, and particularly when he was mentoring Dan, You know, the the story goes that. Angus and Malcolm, when uh, George first worked with ACDC, said, You know, they said, do you, do you think we should be a bit more diverse? Do you think we should mix it up a bit? Yeah. You know, and George said, That's the worst thing you could possibly do. He said, Stick with it. You've got the formula. It's already successful. Don't worry about all that other crap. You know, and he was absolutely right because let's face it, ACDC went on to record the same song for the next 40 years <laughs> and, sold, and sold hundreds of millions of records in the process. So, you know, he was right. He just had, someone said he was so focused in the studio that, they swore that he could move an ashtray just by staring at <laughs> it. Might not be true, but it's a really interesting idea, isn't it? The guy was so intense and just he just really knew what worked best uh, and was great for that, like I said, probably a I don't know, 15-year period in Sydney with Harry working at Albert's where pretty much everything they touched turned
0: to gold. Oh, yeah, did it ever. Did it mm. ever. Uh, and that relationship between he and Harry, I mean, it started in the Villa Wood uh, Hostel uh, where, you know, literally George was teaching him English um, yeah. uh, because he, he kept stuffing words up every five seconds. <laughs> That's uh, right. uh, he said, I uh, think I've got fun strikes. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, for that to endure as long as it did and, and just to, all the little hiccups they had along the way, uh, uh, an amazing relationship.
1: Yeah, a really incredible union. Um, And I think a lot of it, beyond the obvious creative and, and musical bonds, was on the eve of the Easy Beats departure for London in 1966. You know, there was this huge wave of excitement. They'd had this enormous success at home. They'd just recorded, I think, a couple of TV specials. You know, it was really happening for them. Harry got home and his wife had committed suicide. She was so distressed by the thought. Then They were quite young. Was, I think Harry would have been early 20s by then. They had a, a son. Um, she wasn't up to uh, getting her head around the idea that Harry could be gone for who knows how long, yeah. you know, and that to her, they didn't have the budget to be able to take all their families with them, and she just unfortunately took an overdose and died. I, I assume it was accidental, but, you know, George then pulled him aside, and Harry was devastated. You know, he had to send his son back to his to be looked after by his family in Holland, and George pulled him aside and said, I'm with you, I've got your back, yeah. you know, uh, you know, we're working partners, but we're also friends. And that relationship there yeah, continued right to the end of George's life. I found out that he and Harry were working once again as flash in the pan, trying to come uh-huh. up with some new material. But I, I'm not sure, and I wasn't able to unravel whether anything was completed by the time of his death. But just the simple fact that that relationship continued for the next 50 years, it was that's how strong it was. It, couldn't say the same about Lennon and McCartney. No, I was going to yeah. say, it's the it's the
0: relationship that everyone hoped Lennon and McCartney would have, but never had.
1: That's exactly right. You know, the 70s were a tricky time for John and Paul, let's face it. Yeah. You know, there were the occasional moments where you hear about them getting together and kind of laughing at what had come before, but you never, the, the, the prospect of them recording together or something was never entertained because it was just never going to happen. Um, but George and Harry just, they found this bond, they had this formula, they seemed to have an understanding like a chemistry when they worked together in the studio and it just stood them in such great stead and as I said made them incredibly wealthy you know they came from nothing both of them and they ended up very 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 wealthy men
0: more from Jeff after coming up uh, shortly but uh, as i mentioned at the start of the podcast a little cameo appearance from a man who's uh, had uh, incredible success all around the world international success uh, and uh, and uh, sold millions of records all around the world and they've been harry vander george young uh, compositions so let's uh, get a little insight into one song in fact the first song uh, he ever recorded and it was a harry vander george young song and i talk about the one and only john paul young Albert's oh, Got this guy Simon
2: Napier Bell, who, who managed the Yardbirds. You know, he was a, he was a big wheel. They, they had this problem with the song Pasadena. They couldn't replicate the vibe that the demo had, uh, and the yeah. demo was done in George and Harry's flat in London. You know, Simon uh, discovered that the vibe was there. Why get rid of it? And so he said, "We'll just find another singer to put him over the top. Right. We'll, squash, we'll squash down George's voice." and we'll put another vo- a bo- a voice on it. And that too had to be me. So next thing, I'm on an aeroplane for the first time mm-hmm. in my life, flying down to Melbourne uh, to Armstrong's in South Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, Simon was no, uh, no, sh- no shrinking violet when it came to making a record. He, uh, he got the, the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra in to do the, do the strings. Wow. <laughs> he, yes. he, got, he got a bunch of uh, singers in there to do the backing vocals, the choir stuff. They squashed uh, George's voice down. They put me on top. And right at the end of the song, uh, I ran out of breath. And I don't actually sing the last chorus. Oh, really? George is there on his own singing it. (laughs) Wow. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's the way they used to do things back in those days. You know, he he even even got one of George and Harry's songs and, and took to it with a razor blade and turned it into another song. (laughs) Oh, really? Wow. (laughs) Wow.
0: Well, the next time you're Googling Pasadena or you hear it on the radio or you come across it on a jukebox, uh, you'll you'll listen to it a little bit differently now, uh, knowing that little story uh, from John Paul Young as told to us on the uh, Life of Brian Mannix, that is, podcast. We thank uh, John for that and thank Brian Mannix for that as well. Uh, all right, let's get back to uh, our author. It is Jeff Apter. The book is Friday on My Mind and talking uh, about uh, the late, great George Young. And the normality did that was that what kept him out of the excesses of the industry, which is devoured and spat out and chewed and 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 killed off a lot of people in the process.
1: Well, he probably should have cut back on the cigarettes because I dare say that might have got him in the end. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the you know the, certainly he saw what was happening, what happened to Stevie Wright, and mm. you know Stevie, uh, as much as a, a bit of a train wreck that he was, he took steps to try to tame his demons and just was unsuccessful, but George could see how deeply drugs had its claws in Stephen. Certainly, had to him it was like why would I want to do something that's going to stop me from working? You know, you know, I enjoy this. This studio is my home. I don't want to do something that's going to leave me dribbling in the corner. You know, for ten hours a day. So um, you know, he steered clear of that. He probably, I'm sure, he liked the tipple. um, And as I said, he probably smoked too much. But have a suspicion that you know he was relatively young. He died at. 70, yeah. which, um, you know, nowadays is seen as, you know, not a bad dig, but not a, a terribly long one. Um, so maybe that has something to do, but those excesses you're talking about, yeah, he, he kept a, I think very early on, he could see that there was no point in that and there was no glamour or interest in that for him because that was the side of, you know, music and rock and roll and showbiz that just had no interest for him. No appeal.
0: Um, the, the legacy he leaves, whether he liked it or not, is enormous.
1: Yeah, look. I think he would be he would be very proud of that the the legacy because it's it's a recognition of his work rather than his I don't know celebrity or his you know oh what an amazing personality he was it was more I'm a working musician and look what I've left behind and and you know it's the story I've been explaining to people is that if you took a, a jukebox and you stacked it with the great Australian songs starting from a Sorry and Wedding Ring, those early Easy beat songs, through to more Latter-day ACDC. And, you know, it's a, it's a fairly healthy supply of material. You've got Rose Tattoo and you've got The Angels and you've got John Paul Young and you've got uh, Ted Murray Gang and you've got Stevie Wright in there. And then you pulled out everything that had Harry, sorry, George and Harry's imprint on it It'd be a very empty jukebox. <laughs> I don't think, you know, you know, I don't think In Excess would have had the success they had internationally or, or even other bands like the Little River Band because the Easy Beats were the first. They were the Trailblazers, the first Australian band playing originals to take it to the world and have some success. And that's that was in itself was a huge achievement, They'd learn everything that came afterwards for George.
0: Yeah, because everything—I uh, mean, the, the, so many bands went over in that late part of the '60s, early part of the '70s. So, you know, whether it was the Twilights or, uh, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I'm trying Masters to think, Apprentices, yeah, 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 the yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, group, the Groove, they all went over. Nick Merritt was over there. Yep, yep, yep. They won the Hoadley's Battle of the Sounds, or whatever it was, and got a free ticket to London, and literally all came back uh, wrecked, ruined, cooked. That's right. Yeah, it was a real pilgrimage, wasn't it? But I was thinking, and you extend
1: that to people like, you know, Jermaine um, Greer and Clive James yeah. and, you know, actors and writers and, you know, there's a huge, I, call it, I think a conga line of people leaving Australia and heading, not for America as you would now, but for London. Yeah. And I always I try to picture, imagine what it would be like. You come from Billabong and Burwood where the Youngs lived and your next port of call is London, 1966 in summer. It would have been spectacular you know it's the their equivalent of the summer of love you know the Beatles are exploding the stones the kinks the who the faces carnaby streets bursting with color you know everything was happening it would have been such a a sensational place to be um and you know and they were part of that when friday on my mind became a hit so it's it's pretty heady stuff you know imagine because even then george would have only been 20 21 years old and for the fact that he kept such a firm grip on reality through that and subsequently it says a lot about the guy's character, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, it does. What's your favourite Easy Beat song, Jeff?
1: Ooh, it sort of shifts from day to day. Um, there's a terrific song, and it was wasn't a big hit, but it was called "The Music Goes Round My Head," oh, yeah. which I really and I wanted to call the book that. I was tempted, but I thought, no, sometimes you really need to go with the obvious one. Right on my mind. Um, but that song kind of summed up. And the really interesting thing about that song, if you listen to it, it came out before the Beatles' Oobla D Da, but it has a very similar kind of feel to it. It does. And it's pretty fair to say, because I know Paul McCartney was definitely an Easy Beats fan, that they've been tuning in to what those guys were doing in the studio, even though they weren't having the same level of success as the Beatles. But it's a terrific song. And um, the Saints did it 20 years later, and That's it was right. on the. It was on the Young Einstein soundtrack and got a a sort of a a second life, as did so many Easy Beats songs, you know, in the hands of so many different artists. If you remember, you know, Jimmy Barnes and um, In Excess had a huge hit with Good Time, you know, in the 80s. And a whole bunch of people um, recorded Easy Beats songs. There's been a number of tributes and so on over the years. So a lot of people keep flying the flag for the Easy Beats, that's for sure.
0: The really interesting thing is that I'm – and I'll I'll probably be um, uh, kicked in the head for this by someone, but uh, most people who've done covers of Easy Beats songs have never done them better. They've done them as well, but they've never done them better. You've never kind I can't think of one off the top of my head where you go, oh, yeah, that shit's all over the Easy Beats version.
1: (laughs) It always takes you back to the original, doesn't it? Yeah. There There was a really interesting one in that last Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's a song in there called Give a Little Lovin' by a band called Los Bravos. Oh, I remember Los um, Bravos, yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, why do I know that song? It's an easy beat song, you know? <laughs> the fact that Tarantino's dug it up 50 years later, um, you know, says so much about the song itself. So that you're right, every time you hear a cover, be it the Divinals or the Sports yeah. or In Excess, all those, and they're all really, really good covers. Absolutely. But it, but it makes you go back and say, geez, the original was good.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I must admit, I've, I've because of another podcast I do, I've had come and see her in my head for um, for like the last two or three weeks because we did a doctor's uh, podcast and we, all, right. uh, we put together a, a playlist of doctor songs and that obviously is, you know, <laughs> doctor. Doc. And then I read That's the it. book and I, I never knew the gonorrhea uh, thing from the crowd. <laughs> and, I, and now all I have in my bloody head right now is an earworm going, gonorrhea, gonorrhea.
1: gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I reckon there's a line, you can draw that to the, uh, the angels. You know, yes. am I ever going to see your face again? I reckon there's something, I think there's some connection there. You know, there's got to be something going on. The same three lads
0: may- that started the gonorrhea thing, I think, did that angels thing 15 years later.
1: That's right exactly they're taking their kids to the show and said oh listen
0: to this <laughs> <laughs> No, look at uh, he's uh, someone who deserves uh, I, I think a greater a greater, uh, a greater uh, I don't know whether it's um, a place in the uh, in the in the pecking order of the the, the greats of uh, of the Australian music industry because he certainly uh, he and Harry Van have, uh, well as you say they they didn't uh, just be on the charts they were the charts
1: Yeah, monumental figures, absolutely. A statue at least, I reckon, Kevin.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. People talk about, you know, ACDC and that, but without George Young, there wouldn't have been an ACDC.
1: Absolutely. We'd have a a pretty poor music industry right now, I think, if it wasn't for these. And and let's include, you know, Harry Vander as well. These two guys really... You know, absolute fundamental figures. Um, you know, titans of Australian music, and you know, really blazed a trail for everything that came afterwards.
0: Now, you've done twenty odd books. What's uh, what's the next one on the agenda, Jeff? John English. I'm currently
1: working oh, with his great. family to write a book about John. Um, in my grand tradition of dead white guys, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't really say that, but <laughs> no, um, no, no, look, fine. I must say, as a writer, and I don't, I don't want this to be misunderstood, but. To have a complete life to document actually gives you the whole story, if that makes sense. You know, uh, you know, John died too young, but um, oh, got you, yeah. And it's a really interesting story. His family's been really supportive. Um, I'm stunned. I mean, I was a big fan, but I had no idea how broad his career was. He, I think he was the first. What do we call them now? Multitasker. Oh, yeah. You know, he was.
0: He was huge He was, was huge. Exactly,
1: he could do TV. He yep. could do staging, and then he could go and rock the bejesus out of suburban pubs with the oh, Osbournes. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah they really was, interesting guys. Good band, and he wrote some really good songs too, John. Well, then he went and wrote a rock opera. I mean, when yes, he spare time, Paris,
1: yeah, incredible, yeah. So that's out um, April next year, I think. I'll oh, keep very the good with that
0: one. Good on you, Jeff. Thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate. It. Well done on the book, and uh, and keep them coming. They're they're just uh, we, we need to to pay reverence to these people who've done uh, so much work for the uh, for the Australian music industry, and which is a, an incredible part of our culture.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a real joy and a pleasure and an honour to be able to write these stories. Yeah, so, good stuff. Yeah, let's hope I can continue. Thanks, Kevin.
0: It's a terrific book. It's called Friday on My Mind. Look forward to that uh, John English book coming in the future and we thank Jeff Apter for his time. Check out his other works too. As I mentioned, he's done uh, more than 20 books uh, on uh, on music alone and then uh, there's a few sporting books in there as well uh, that he's uh, ghosted with uh, other people. So uh, a great body of work and uh, plenty more to come and uh, I highly recommend Friday on my mind. It is a really, really good book. Also, I would highly recommend to you to go to cscg.com.au and check out what the CS Consulting Group can do for you because they can do an awful lot be it uh, personal or business uh, financial matters that you want to discuss. Uh, they're terrific people to deal with. Been around for a long time now. Uh, they've got uh, great uh, experience uh, in the field. Uh, you'll see that uh, when you read their story on the website and you uh, you see the people who are involved. Uh, you can give them a, a call, of course, on 9974 8333. Uh, they've been around, as I said, for over 30 years. They've got great experience. They do a holistic approach uh, to your financial requirements. So whatever it is, whatever area that you're, you're looking for, they will have someone in that field who can help you out and, uh, and steer you in the right direction, which is exactly exactly what you need, uh, particularly it's tough times at the moment and every penny is uh, – <laughs> we're watching it all, aren't we? Uh, so they can help make sure that uh, that every penny you have uh, most certainly is, uh, is doing what it should be doing for you. So thanks to Ori and Lou and the team at, uh, at CSCG, the CS Consulting Group. Hope you've enjoyed uh, this first edition, the first episode of uh, Authorised. We'll be back with uh, plenty more uh, – sport, food, music, crime – Addiction. We've got them all coming. Hope you'll join me for those. Authorised with Kevin Hillier. Until the next time uh, we talk, take care. <laughs>